Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here at Cartel Aristocrats cast number 48. I'm joined this week with my co-hosts Ed Wen and Travis Allen. Jim will be on shortly as his internet problems always seem to occur in Florida. Uh, we were gone for two weeks. Uh, Ed, Jim, and I were at GP Orlando where we finally got Ed to play a game of Magic. I don't know how that went for him. And uh, Travis was busy off in a lovely sunny paradise. So is there anything that you guys want to talk about that happened at GP Orlando, Ed? Any any special things that went on there? I think the biggest thing that we noticed was it was kind of the first uh, weekend right off the bat post-Modern Masters 3 release. Um, back for our listeners who saw our cast, I think the week that Modern Masters 3 was spoiled, we had briefly discussed the implications of GP Orlando and how the buy list would shake up, especially like what vendors were willing to pay, what people were selling packs for. I think the biggest thing I noticed was that the sealed product itself was very cheap. Uh, most vendors had packs at $10 or a few at $9. I think there was one vendor that had individual packs for $8 and boxes could be found for $180 the entire weekend. Um, that being said, uh, it's odd because we've seen actually an, like a slight uptick in buy lists um, since then. Like most of the cards more or less bottomed out before Modern Masters 3 even came out. And since then, it's kind of seemed like cards have been on a slow uptick, um, which I can only assume that's because they're without a, like a GP Las Vegas type event. There's just not a huge influx of these cards entering the market. And I can only imagine now that Modern Dex are so affordable with how many reprints we've seen that it's that people, there's probably more demand for Modern Masters cards right now compared to Mar Masters in 2015 or the original in 2013. And then we followed that up with GP San Antonio, which you also went to. Was there anything that you want to just sort of note that happened this weekend? Uh, the biggest thing this weekend, I think, was like how aggressive like some of the buy numbers were. Um, both Haruya and MTG deals in San Antonio, they're paying pretty good numbers on some of the bigger staples. Um, I think Blood Moon was at fifteen, which is just a few do- which is just a few dollars under TCG uh, market. I think market is like just over eighteen. Um, fetches they were also paying very well on. I think Skelling Tarn was fifty dollars at one point at MTG deals before they ran out of money, and I think that's like two or three dollars under the market when I last looked. Uh, Tarns might have gone up a little bit um, since then, but I think it, it's very clear that these cards like do well. There's a lot of demand for them, so. It's not that surprising to see the buy list that high. Um, that being said, most of the rares that don't have the same amount of demand, I think, are rapidly approaching the bottom out point. Um, like damnations can be found for like fifteen to eighteen dollars from some of the vendors. Blood moons were about eighteen to twenty. Um, I think like those were kind of the notable ones. Like Lidvala's, I think, like ten to twelve dollars. Um, most of the most of the cards that were reprinted be, due to scarcity, due to the error they were printed, I think they're basically getting pretty close to their bottom. Goblin Guide is kind of in that same boat. You, they could be found for twelve to fourteen dollars. Already rebounded back up to seventeen. Okay, okay. So Goblin Guide. So that so that one's kind of odd because it's a rare, but it's a four of it. So it falls more. It, it's more of 
a fetch land type card in the sense that the deck that wants it needs four of it rather than like a Linval or Damnation where it's relegated to sideboard material and the price was more due to the scarcity. Anything else about San Antonio before we move on? Uh, no. I, I think um, I think Unified Modern, like, I think that was received pretty well. The event, like, hit the cap. Um, it was definitely a popular event among, like, all levels of players from pros all the way down to kind of your, like, casual modern player. I think people were ready to show up with teammates, like, have a good time. Um, I, I enjoyed the event. I thought the event was well run. Um, logistically, there were it was less of a nightmare compared to like Team Limited when you had to deal with like the sealed pools, all that. So de- definitely enjoyed it. Um, I do think t- uh, team events will see a surge in popularity in the future. We've seen how well SEG does um, when they did the uh, Unified Constructed, where one player played Standard Modern Legacy. Um, from a finance standpoint, it wasn't anything super interesting we're kind of at that like lull at the bottom of uh the format like everyone's ready for amicat everyone's just kind of moving on standard is like we've kind of seen standard staples decrease across the board um so i think people are just kind of saving up their money getting ready for amicat to come out in a few weeks here and travis you know we talked about potential buys for modern masters did you pick up any singles finally no, I've stayed away so far. For the um, the armchair speculators out there, there's a lot of tempting targets, but it still feels a little early on a longer scale. And more importantly, I think that I have less confidence in modern and the staples as a format than I might otherwise. I still love the format. I think it's great. But clearly the modern boom has passed, uh, just like the legacy one did. Now the modern one seems to be on a downswing. So I don't know if we're going to see these rebound quite as fast and as hard as we did with the first modern masters. So I'm going to kind of keep my eyes out. If we get, you know, if prices start to look like they're turning north on some of the really good staples, I might double back and pick up some more of the slightly more casual stuff that showed up. But for now, I'm just kind of keeping my distance and waiting and seeing. I think that there's profit to be made, but the margins are still going to be too tight for guys like me. They're mostly good for store owners. Yeah, I agree with you there. That's a pretty good point. The only uh, bad part about that is uh, that feedback loop where if it starts going up, more and more people are going to buy because they don't want to be late. And they're going to be like, oh, this is the next, Damnation's the next doubling season. Quick, we got to buy all the copies before it hits 50 again. Stuff like that. So that's the only thing I guess I would think about if you're listening is if you're waiting for too long and then things start going up, players will notice because there's so much more finance savvy at this point than they were during the last Modern Masters or the one before that. And stuff can get bought out just based on, oh, it's going up and I want to make money on it. And you're just... The, the greater fool theory, as uh, Corbin Hosler talks about a lot in his articles. Um, so we had a bunch of GPs. We had Modern Masters. That, that was on purpose, right? You just want to verify? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so basically, we have Amonkhet. They changed the split rules. Um, one of our hosts gets shafted. Uh, it appears that uh, he called the wrong spec. And, uh, yeah, Legacy Miracles gets ticked down a bit, which I'm actually pretty happy about. Travis, do you want to talk about your pursuits of uh, split cards? This is so bad. Uh, So I picked up, like, 
I don't know, it's a 50-ish breaking and entering at like a dollar, maybe $2 a piece uh, like a month ago um, because of the Karizev uh, expertise deck and uh, you know, I didn't know where else it was going to pop up. I have like 80 beck and calls, um, close to 100 maybe, that I was sitting on because I knew that they had jumped a little bit in response to the expertises, but not enough to really make it worth selling them. So I was just kind of hanging out because we were getting there. Uh, and then Wizards essentially stealth bans like 10 cards. Like, oh, by the way, we changed this rule, which completely invalidates a ton of cards, just makes them useless. Boom, bust is way worse now. Luckily, I didn't get caught holding that one. Um, cascade cards basically lose value. Uh, luckily, my restore balances are still safe, but overall, it was... Uh, it was, it was pretty rough. I do not care for this precedent. I understand that it's, it's a good rule for the game. It makes more sense from like a game perspective, but this is just a savage blowout for a lot of people. And it's not just me, and it's not just people who are speculating. I popped into a Reddit thread, I don't know why, earlier, and uh, somebody was like, wait, does this mean my Kari's Emerald deck doesn't work? Because I literally just bought all the cards for that. So it's like, there's a lot of people getting caught with their pants down on this. I don't know what the right way to change the rules is, but it seems like when you had the legendary change, it took a bunch of cards that were like that I'm going talking about back. The old legendary rule said that if there's a legend in play, you could nobody could play a second copy. So if I had a uh, Linvala Keeper of Silence in play, Jeremy could not cast one. They would get stuck in his hand. And there's this famous story that they were watching a match at the Pro Tour and some guy ended up with like four of this one angel in his hand and he couldn't cast them because the other his opponent had one. It was after that Pro Tour that they changed the legend rule. When that rule changed, it unlocked all of these legendary creatures. Suddenly they were much more useful. So you made that there's this rule change, but it made cards good. This is this like sudden quiet rule change that just destroys all of these cards. So it's just really unfortunate that they had to go this way. And I, as a person who really enjoys combo and complexity and kind of feeling clever. I really liked this rules interaction because you could do something clever with it. And to take away all of these corner cases, it just feels like there's less room to explore and work with. Um, you don't get to do as many cool things. And I love for those types, live for those types of interactions. So it's just really unfortunate on a variety of, on a variety of ways, I think for, for players. Ed, any thoughts on the split card change? Uh, so, so just one small thing to note, uh, there are actually multiple iterations of legends rule. Um, the, the one you're thinking of was the original rule where the, where if player A has it, player B just can't play it at all. And then they change it to where if player A has it and player B plays it, then both player A and player B lose it. And then now we have the current iteration, which is you can have, you can have one and then I can have one as well. Because um, I think with the original spike that happened with Gaia's Cradle was when we have the current iteration which is which includes if i play one and then i play second one i get to choose which one i keep yeah um, and that was when we saw kind of the original spike in guys cradle um as for the rules change itself i think it's just it's just kind of another wrench that just makes the market like just that much more volatile like it's really hard to like like what can you buy into now like it, it, it's how to put it's not so much that it, this is punishing people who bought into a deck it's more like it was one of those things that probably should have been taken care of. It just is, it's just brought into light now that we kind of see this abuse happening. Um, especially since they're printing like a new cycle of split cards, which are going to be abused in some form or another. Okay, so, um, so, I have a thought because this is totally true. 
totally true that this is like basically better for the game. So the correct way to do this was when they were printing the expert, realized they were printing the expertise cycle and they were gonna have these cards that suddenly made all the split cards way more interesting. When they were handed off the design file with Aether Revolt with those expertises in them went, you know, maybe we should clean up these split card rules and made a rules change like a year ago so that like it wasn't in the middle of like, you didn't dump cards on the players that made all these split cards really interesting and then three months later take them away. Like the timing could have been better. And maybe they would have foreshadowed split cards a little bit, but eh, who cares? It's not even that big of a deal. I, I think the issue is that I... Like, honestly, given how Standard has played out, I legitimately do not think that they have any sort of foresight coming to this. I do not think that, like, expertise plus split cards or expertise plus, like, zero CMC cards, I, I don't think any of that was remotely on their radar. Um, so, like... You could be right on that one, which is insane to think about, but you're probably... You might be right. Right. I, I think, like, fundamentally the issue is just, like, it's easy for us to look at it and it's like, oh, of course, it's obvious, right? But we're talking about, like, you know, how big is R&D? How big is the future future league? We're talking, like, 20 to 30 people trying to figure out, like, the, their priority is, like, oh, how, how does this break standard? Which clearly, like, none of the expertise break standard, right? It's, a much, it's, like, a much wider scope to say, oh, okay, how does this break an eternal format like Modern or Legacy? So, I, like... It, <laughs> well, they would have broken standard with the split cards, right? I mean, we don't know that. We don't. We don't know that, right? Like, I think. I think this is one of those things that, like, they're just like wrapping up now, right? It's the same as like the Emrakul, because I think the Emrakul interaction. I vaguely seem to recall like a Reddit thread that that said, like, ruling regarding the new Emrakul. And the very first thing someone said about it was, as soon like when the trigger resolves, the first thing you should do during your opponent's turn is uh, look at their sideboard, write down the contents, right? And then I feel I I seem to recall like a day later they immediately errated it so that if you're mind slavered or Emrakul or whatever, you no longer have access to your opponent's sideboard. Right. I think that's one of those things that they might not have foreseen, but when you have millions and millions of people looking at cards and trying to think about these things, boom, like something's going to break right away because naturally magic players just have affinity for breaking things. Well, and that makes a lot of sense, but I think I, I would argue that there is a kind of a fun, a very a fundamental difference between like, Oh, whoops, Emrakul, interacts with the like IPG and tournament rules really oddly that we hadn't thought about, right? That's not like card interacting with card, that's card interacting with tournament rules. When we're talking about the expertises and, and the split cards, we're talking about card interacting with card. And like every card in the history of magic is like, does this thing let you do something for free? We better check and see if it does something ridiculous. I mean, like, you know, there's a legacy deck built on cascading into these types of stuff. so. I, I think you're, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just like it kind of bewilders me to imagine that they're looking at these expertise cards and they don't. Somebody doesn't go, hey, you know, you're going to do something pretty crazy with free spells and split cards. Maybe we should think about that. Oh, there are split cards in the design file that for the very next set. Anyone think about this at all? Yeah, it's it's hard. Like, I don't think there's like a clear cut answer. Like, I mean, we're past the point of like they're realistically being a fix, right? Like, it's. Like I like I don't think it's good. Like I, I think the biggest concern is like for the markets, it's harder to go hard on these types of things. I think split cards are probably like the most egregious thing, right? Like it's no, it's not really any worse than in, in my mind. I don't think it's any worse of like a rule abuse or card abuse than like you know a few years. Like I think like when modern was so called extended, someone like I think LSV or someone discovered that if you play gifts ungiven and you only 
put unburial rights and like Elishnorn out, they're forced to bin those, right? So basically, Gifts Ungiven is four mana, put like this ridiculous re- like reanimation package into your graveyard. It's double right? and tomb. Four mana double and tomb. Exactly, right? And that was like, unless you knew the rules, right? Like that's not something that's intuitive at all. It's like, oh, I like, that's just not one of the things that people would ever register. But like, you know, someone with superior rules knowledge, they definitely took advantage of that. And that was kind of, when we saw Gifts and Given kind of get pushed just for being a vintage card into, hey, we can build an entire extended deck around this reanimator type package. So, and I really like stuff like that. Like, I think that's cool. I think that those, the fact that those interactions crop up and exist are, are interesting. I think they make the game more fun. And if they get too powerful, then you deal with it. But I don't know. I, I don't have a problem with odd rules interactions existing for the, I don't have a problem with them, a problem with them existing, especially given how, relatively uncommon these types of things are going to come up. I guess it'll happen more now because you're going to have the expertises and split cards and standards. So this is probably why they're finally dealing with it. But that comes back to my other question of like, if you realize these were going to be in standard together, why the hell would you wait until now to say something like, I don't know, do it as soon as you know, so you're not catching people out. Like, yeah, we're beating this to death, I guess. I think we're both just surprised. So since Jim is uh, having audio issues, I guess the three of us wise financiers can mold us over real quick. How much fun is arbitrage when you're going overseas? You can start with that, Ed. I mean, I mean, we, we've all done it, right? It, it's hard to say. Like, I think this is one of those things where it was better. Like, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, since I can, I, I've seen this, like. I'm not gonna lie. It was way better before everyone knew about it. I think I think it's like becoming so commonplace that like like for example like one of the simplest interactions when I had that at the booth this weekend was you know we someone someone came up and asked us for something very mundane. I want to say it was like a verdict catacombs or something, and it's just like oh we don't have any, and the guy just kind of looked at us inquisitively like what do you mean you don't have any? And I think someone else made some comment. Like, I think like someone else who was on the other side, uh, another customer, he just made some offhand comment about, oh, these guys are based out of Japan. They're probably buying the Vernon Catacombs here and they're just taking them back. That's why they're not available for sale. It's not that they don't have any. And the guy was like, oh, that's interesting. Is it be? And then, you know, eventually the conversation between them came to, it's better to buy cards here and then take them to Japan because they just sell for more. And I think now that that's becoming more and more common knowledge, it's, it's becoming less good. Like it's becoming less profitable. Like a few, like a few years ago when I was doing this, uh, like the UK was just a ridiculous market because in the UK, before Brexit happened, you're winning on both the currency exchange and you're winning by abusing the market. Um, and those are just types of things that it's just so much harder now. One, because the global economy has kind of leveled itself out. The dollar has just grown so much against both the yen, the pound and the Euro. Um, that like one, you're, you're kind of losing one edge. And then now because markets are slowly starting to balance them out, we've seen like every grand prix I go to, I see Chinese dealers, I see Japanese dealers, I see European dealers. It's becoming so much more homogenized that that same edge is like, it's people are trying to take like advantage of it. Like, like literally globally, as opposed to just like the few people who are in knowing about it. I'm surprised that we had a, a, a currency edge on Britain. I thought that they were ahead of us for a very long time. 
I, that was, it was more of a virtue of cards being so expensive that that's why it seemed like you won on the currency exchange, not necessarily like directly winning on the currency itself. So, so it made it, it made it like a selling environment. It was very easy to cash out there. And now that it's kind of bounced out, it's almost, I, I feel like it's going to be a point where it's going to start becoming like a buying environment in the UK again. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, so I, I have a slightly different experience with it than Ed because I probably, I came to it a little bit later. I think I didn't really get into it until about two and a half years ago when I went to Japan. Um, and I kind of started thinking about it cause I hadn't been there before. Um, it has definitely gotten worse since even just in that two and a half years, uh, especially about what was it? Two ish years ago, a little less than that. Somebody finally cracked and wrote an article about it. And it was like, well, well, Sarah and I both wrote articles about a week apart for MTG Price about the subject. Yeah, you know, I it was funny because it, I obviously had access to all the the articles at the time, you know, posting mine, editing them. So like I was putting mine up and like I one of the titles caught my eye and I had never said anything to anyone about their articles on the site, like in terms of like what they should do or shouldn't do. And I saw the article title and I read the draft and like, I think I messaged the group and I was like, ah, uh, you might want to think real hard about posting this article. Cause once this is out, like that's it. Like we all lose the edge uh, and it did get published, which is fine. Um, so it's, it's gotten worse. I do think that there's still, there's still uh, edges to be gained. Um, I actually was opening a packet from how to do ya uh, minutes before we started casting because there's still deals out there. And um, you know, James and I have been looking at Europe and stuff. And uh, a lot of these types of things are, even if you know they're there, if you don't have a structure to capitalize on it, um, you can't really do a lot about it. So it kind of rewards the people who are able to find those connections. Um, you know, 20 people can know that the deal is there, but if only one of them has the ability to go do it, then yeah, he's still fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as long as there's currency um, differences, there's going to be these edges. Uh, you're just going to kind of have to try and keep ahead of people and keep ahead of the markets. Um, you know, maybe it might. And the thing is, is I had never looked at Europe. I had really only looked at Japan. Uh, and Ed's telling me he was doing great in Britain. So I wonder if over the next couple of years, if we start to see more growth in different markets, um, like global markets, where their financial sectors as a whole kind of change and improve, which could bring magic into a much bigger light in that environment and then give you a really good edge on those um, those financial markets. So like, I wonder if, for instance, you look at India, if maybe if their financial sector and their country continues to grow and push into uh, you know more of a global power over the next 10 years, you could see magic become a larger part of that or of that country and they develop their own magic culture. And if our uh, currency is really good against whatever currency they use in India, uh, suddenly there's an opening there. So I think that you might be able to find some edges there, but um, yeah, overall it's, it's still out there, but it's not nearly as good as it used to be. Yeah. It's the rupee. It's what? It's the rupee. The rupee. There you go. Uh, personally, I think your thing with India is going a little too far. Uh, they've got their own problems and you know. well, it doesn't have to be India. It can be any country, right? Like any country who's kind of stepping up. Yeah. Step up. I just don't see that why you need to curry favor with India as a whole. Um, okay. There, there was why you disagreed <laughs> with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like I basically went into it with like two, two or three like deals worked out and everything else was just running around just one city trying to get as much value as I could. Um, I think if you have like money up front from people that want stuff and you've already worked out deals to get it, it can work. But like if you, if you put like five grand down 
after paying for airfare and flight and all that, like you probably still won't break even if you don't know what you're doing. I think like Ed, because Ed travels so much to like every Grand Prix across the world, he's probably got it down to a science on exactly what numbers he can pay and like how to uh, mark your boxes when you don't want price tags on your cards and like how much you paid and stuff like that. Um, I honestly declared everything at customs and that took a very long time to work out and prove receipts, uh, which we have talked about on the cast before that some people may not do that. And, you know, I want to be uh, fully accountable and not have that come back and bite me in the end. Yeah. Did you, when you do something like that and you come back and you go, Oh, by the, you know, you declare that you spent a hundred grand or whatever on, Magic cards. I didn't spend a hundred grand, first of all, but yeah, sure, sure. whatever. I'm no. putting that out there for the listeners. I did not spend. Yeah. Okay, double that. Whatever. Then whatever the number is, uh, and you have receipts for it all. Is do you pay a, a duty or a tax on that entering America? Like, is there a financial cost, or are they just making sure all of your numbers are in, a, in alignment? So, so Ed, do you want to go first? Do you want me to start with those? I'll let you start. Okay. So. Uh, it depends on how you're declaring them, Travis. Uh, if you're decla- and this is to the best of my knowledge, I am not a legal practitioner yet. Fine, I'll sit for the bar sometime for Missouri. Um, so not legal advice. Don't do exactly what I do. Just getting that legal thingy out there so listeners don't get mad at me. So to the best of my knowledge, if you come back as a private citizen and you are declaring cards that you bought for yourself privately, you do not pay duties on them when you come back through. But if you're a business and you declare anything that triggers over the maximum amount of free, and this is for private citizens as well, but mainly for businesses, anything that triggers above $10,000, uh, you will have to pay a duty on, whereas the private, uh, the private duty starts at $800 and up, but they, and then it, like it's assessed a fee after every, or $800 and up, and then it's assessed a fee 100 It's on the customs website. Uh, they'll determine like what is taxable and what you need to pay. Um, but the main thing for me um, was having that receipt that said exactly how much money I paid and how much I was declaring to customs so that when I inevitably get audited for last year and this year, I have that piece of paper and there's no disputing it. They know exactly how much I paid and I can point to sales past that point and go, this is what I sold when I came back and here's all my receipts. Cause in the end I had literally a giant bank bag full of receipts. What's the duty? What percentage? Uh, it varies. So, you know, it really just depends on your, if you're a private citizen or if you're a company and how much you're declaring. So let's assume it was, I don't know, 20 grand as a business. Okay. So like what, what percent, like what percentage roughly do you pay in duty is like sales tax or I, I don't know what to, how to gauge duties. It would be on their website. I believe it varies, which is why I don't want to give a correct answer on the cast. However, right. I know that they have all their rates and stuff and how you're paying on their website. So I just, that's like why I started with that legal disclaimer is because I don't want to say anything that. Yeah. So I, that's, I'm just saying if you guys want to look into importing stuff from other countries and declaring um, or exporting even, which is also something that I declared on my way out because I was carrying merchandise valued at blank and you have to declare that as well. Um, it's all about just dotting your I's and making sure that legally speaking, you are protected and being honest with the government. 
All right, well, I don't want to step on Ed's toes, so he, he should go and provide, but I do have a question about exporting after Ed talks. Um, hmm. And keep in mind, you can choose not to answer as a business. You can just say, to the best of my opinion, as a private citizen, blah, blah, blah. Because keep in mind, this is a touchy subject for a lot of vendors, Travis. Like that's also why I'm not giving you numbers on like how much I paid because it might vary. Now, is this a touchy subject for vendors basically because, and not to implicate anyone in the cast, but because there are people in the community who might not be doing this completely legally and they don't really want to volunteer information about that? Yeah, pretty much. So like, let's, let's be clear here in case our listeners like take anything like, like literally to like, the exact grain of salt, right? So one, there, there's multiple things as this industry as a whole that are just legally and morally questionable, right? Like it, it, it's, it's from all levels, right? Like in theory, if we are dotting every I and crossing every single T, anytime you sell cards at the Grand Prix to a vendor, like you should be declaring that as income, right? That, that, is, that is technically taxable income. Right. Aren't you aren't you okay under a certain threshold? I thought you didn't have to nope. declare if it was certain. No, no. Nope. Every time you get cat, and that is something that I keep track of as well. Wow. Jeez. Yep. All right. So I, most people I, I want to run this business clean and squeaky. So every person that shows up at a Grand Prix is probably guilty of tax evasion. Correct. Allegedly guilty of tax evasion. Yes. Allegedly. In in theory, you are guilty of tax evasion, right? But like. It, like in the scheme of tax evasion, right? You're doing like a 52 and like a 55 or a 52 and a 50, right? Like it's, no one's going to go after you for that, right? And like the government probably does not care that, you know, like your, your small, like 800 count box of crap, like of bulk and like a few standard staples sold, like you sold a vendor for like $150, right? Like no one's going to go after you for that. But again, like technically that is tax evasion, right? Like, and this goes all the way up to like the judges, right? Like what, like what do international judges do when they enter another country? I'm here for a convention, right? Like that is what you, you say at, that's, that's what you say at border control, right? You like, you are not here to work an event. Like you, you, you cannot come anywhere close to saying that because realistically, either you're going to, have to show the proper work visa, et cetera, or you are going to get put into quarantine and then put on the next flight back to where you came from. Right. So judges like are in that same boat, right? Like this, this is not a clean industry and anyone who thinks like otherwise, like you're, you're, you're deluding yourself, right? Like if you don't, if you don't report any additional like income you get from selling your cards, like you're already doing it wrong. That being said, like on the bigger scale, like talking with other vendors and again, I'm not going to implicate anyone on this, right? There are a lot of ways to get around like how they pay their duties what they declare going in and out of the country, right? That goes all the way down to you de-sleeve every single card that has a price tag on it. You enter it on a spreadsheet and then you spend, you know, a day or however long repricing cards when you get back into your country or when you get to wherever the GP is going. Um, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name like who, who does this, but it's, it, 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 I've mentioned it before. It, it, this is something that happens. Right. Same as like, how do you get money across the borders? If anyone's ever left the country or come back into the United States, one of the questions that's on every single customs form, are you carrying more than $10,000 in uh, goods, good merchandise or, or legal tender, right? Like, you know, yeah. and, and obviously um, I shouldn't say obviously, I guess, it, but 
vendors, right? We have more than $10,000 to a Grand Prix, right? You're expecting to spend that money, right? So like, how do people get in and out of the borders? Well, you do things like, not that I'm saying I've done this personally, <laughs> right? But one of the things that people do is sometimes at the airport. This is a dangerous conversation. <laughs> I mean, this is a dangerous See, this conversation. This is why I'm just... This is why I'm just like, oh, this is easy. Like, I left all my price tags on my cards. I had every receipt. Didn't have to worry about any of this. Just like, yep, honestly, declare it both ways, guys. Perfectly fine. Don't have to worry about anything. Ed's, Ed's like, it's like pulling his phone out, texting Jeremy, like, pull the cast, pull the cast. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like, this, if, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, like, realistically, like, the U.S. government, like, this is, like, if, are they really going to go after us for this? Unlikely. Even, like, the largest vendors, like, how much money are you really moving a year in and out of countries by doing this, right? Like, that's a relatively small amount compared to, like, I don't know, probably what, like, we do in a year probably what the Mexican drug cartels do in, like, you know, like, three people running across the borders, for example. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, they have bigger things to worry about, right? But, like... Well, hold on, because you, you didn't finish your one thought. I interrupted you, and I apologize, but you're saying something about moving the cash across the border, and you're like, I'm not saying I've done this, but and then you're going to tell us what it was. Right. Like, it's like, you know, three of us are on a flight to, I don't know, what's closest? Montreal, oh, for oh. example. Like, how, how, do, how do we get money? Like, how we have $20,000, right? We It's easy. We just redistribute. Each of us are carrying 6000 We're under the legal declaration. Boom, right? We don't lie on the customs form, right? We're completely truthful. We have less than $10,000 each. We get into a country, no problem, right? And like, we're still there for a convention. No mention of business or commercial goods are mentioned and we're good to go. And this is why I sleep at night. All right, let's move on to pick of the week. If you guys are ready. Uh, for those still listening, Jim has had horrible internet issues that we tried to resolve before the cast. Uh, so we're sorry that he couldn't make it, but apparently yes. some people like our cast, but there's only three. So this horrible internet connection is the fact that it works. <laughs> I, I don't get that, Travis. Um, this is bad for us when Jim is here. That was the joke. Oh. <laughs> or you uh, could also take the joke that the internet is terrible. Uh, well, Jim wants to say that his pick is Grim Flare because delirium spelled wrong. Cards are a plus. Uh, that's good to know, Jim. Ed, do you have a pick of the week? Um, uh, I had one earlier. Pick of the peak, pick of the week is the worst, mainly because I can never figure out why I want to pick. It's mainly what card do I w- want to think about buying out next? Uh, come back to me, and I'll have something that I want to buy out. A lot of pressure on me here, Ed. All right, so everyone has noticed by now that the um, Kaladesh was all about plus one, plus one counters. It's now uh, minus one, minus one in... Um, Amoncap. So Lyra from New Phyrexia has been tempting, uh, has been slowly creeping up for a while now. And I'm looking at TCG, I'm seeing prices in the $6 range, $6.50. And there's uh, 70 copies maybe on TCG player of of, uh, non-foils. So um, only one printing, uh, I believe. Yep, only one printing. So that seems like a card that is pretty primed to um, to see an increase, especially with stuff like uh, that two mana four four um, that puts minus one minus one counters on your own creature. Uh, I think there's a couple other interactions already that are interesting looking. So you know, we don't know if any of those are actually going to be good enough for modern, but people are certainly going to be interested and they might try them. 
Oh yeah, they're the two mana three four that that taps for mana. Although you have to remove the one minus one minus one counter to make mana, so it's just a two mana three four actually. Uh, but you guys get the idea. Malira is uh, potentially has a lot of if they if they they only need to print like one good minus one minus one counter card that you can't put them on there that it breaks her. Like imagine Death Shadow, but it comes into play with twelve minus one minus one counters, right? For one mana. Okay, suddenly Malira turns your one mana one ones with all those counters into thirteen thirteen something in that range. Ed, you got something? Yeah, so I've actually, uh, for any, not not to knock on your door or anything, but I think that Belair might not be the best combo. Um, the I, quit. End, I quit. I'm done. I don't want to be in a cast anymore. <laughs> the uh, the absent company list, like the Belair combo that we see in Modern, it's already, I would argue it's already very well fine-tuned, right? The the actual combo itself, the Malira Kitchen Finks, Viscerous Seer combo, or Anafenza combo, the introduction of Anafenza has kind of made like a redundant combo piece. The combo is not a significant part of the deck itself. It's more like, oh, we're playing a mid-range deck. It happens to have an instant speed kill. You know, if you tap out low or something, I can just play Viscerous Seer, Quarter Calling, put my last combo piece in a play, kill you. Um, so well, I, this is... This is more, think of it more like you have the Abzan company list right now, which is, which is fine and it's pretty tuned, but then they print, let's just, let's just run with the death shadow that instead is just minus one, minus one counters instead of your life total, right? Suddenly if they print that, it's like, oh damn, I should just play four of these and four Maliras. So now I want four Maliras and also just up the, like beat the snot out of people plan in my deck. So like it, it can... It's not about it's not about the collected the Abzan company builds specifically. It's about just really generating value out of the out of other Malira combinations, which could also end up including the combo. But like it just makes Malira a much more important part of some similar strategy that maybe also uses the combo. But, sure. I, but I but I get what you're saying. I, I respect Ooh. what you're saying. Like this is not based on the collect on the Abzan company list because that's that's not pushing Malira on its own. Right. So. Uh... Since, since I won't have any breaches of privacy here, I will also say that another vendor, when I was going through TCG, another vendor, in fact, bought us out of Malira's. I'm not going to name names, but that did happen. Um, fuck. So that was... that. Was, so, 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 someone el- so someone else is thinking along the same lines that you are thinking. You're not alone in this. Um, and, and often that's enough to move the market, right? We don't actually need concrete evidence, right? Like people are like... Like last week we saw Fluctuator go up. Right, because as soon as spoiling was like announced, like fluctuator went up, and then almost immediately afterwards, stabilizer went up. Right, neither of those cards are modern legal, but this is Wait, for people. Stabilizer went up. I think stabilizer. I think stabilizer went up. I saw someone like mention it as a buyout target or something. Maybe I have not. a bunch of those in my fifty cent box, and I really don't want to. One sec. It might not have gone up appreciably. Anyways. Oh, the foil went up a bit. Anyways, my pick of the week. Um, it's uh. I'm probably going to go with something related to Boggles. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the white cartouche, cartouche of solidarity. It's a one-mana white enchantment. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 one, one white warrior creature token with vigilance. Uh, the enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has first strike. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest effect of this is that if you play on a creature, you get a 1-1, one, one, which immediately puts you out of the veil range. Um, in the sense that they would need to kill your 1-1 one, one before they can minus one to kill your... Uh, your hex or my minus two in order to before they can kill your uh hexproof creature um so it if you want to look at that as a spec you, if you think there's equity to be gained in buying into boggles cards then i would look at something like daybreak coronet 
It's one of those, it was most recently printed in 2015 as a rare. It's super cheap if you want to buy into it. Um, Bongos hasn't really been on people's radar, so that's why a lot of those cards have bottomed out. Core Spirit Dancer is kind of in the same boat. They're both super, super cheap rares. If you want to buy them, it's not a bad time to do so if you want a personal set for yourself. Um, if Bongos does gain traction, both those cards will probably go up in price, considering how their most recent printings are two plus years ago. Now that nobody's really playing the deck, the prices have really boggled out. That was a good one. Uh, God, you guys are I the worst. I appreciate it. Um, my pick of the week is a reprint from Commander 2013. And it was reprinted in Commander 2016. It's a green card that has an ETB ability. Neither of you. Man, it sounds you, like you want me to guess this. Would you, you get it right away. Win? What was it? This card is Bane of Progress. Oh. This card's a house in EDH. And uh, we have a ton of demand for both printings. And just looking at the prices, it's starting to tick up a bit. And yeah, I think this card goes back to five bucks. And everyone's everyone everything is right in the world. And we have a little bit of progress. So that's my pick. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Nope. I think I've already said too much this episode. Uh, you think? <laughs> we didn't even touch on the Amoncat stuff or what's going on there. Uh, I guess it doesn't really matter. It's getting late. Um, we, we'll have more spoilers next week. Yeah. Uh, as far as guests go, I believe we have a pretty spicy lineup for the second half of April. Uh, look forward to some big-name brands like... Uh, Joe's funky gaming basement.com and uh, yeah, but uh, some things are in the works to get a lot of guests on in the upcoming weeks. Um, they've their schedules have been a little crazy, uh, but we're going to see if we can bring back some of the old favorites as well as some people that uh, we've been trying to get on for a long time. Where can people find you guys? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter, Edwin13. Uh, if people want to message me with questions, uh, I will not help you do anything illegal. I'm going to make that very clear right now. Um, yeah, I will be in Mexico city this weekend. It will be my fifth grand prix in as many weeks. So if you guys want to stop by and say hi, you'll be there for a convention and you'll be carrying less than $10,000 on you. (laughs) I will be there for a grand prix and I will have... Who knows how much money on me? Less than 10000 I have nothing to declare. I'm here for convention. <laughs> I'm here for vacation. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. To uh, Mexico City? No, thanks. I'm on Twitter. Travis. Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, I write every Monday on MTG Price, and you can also find me on MTG Fast Finance, the Fast Finance podcast. And if you like playing Magic, check out Scry.land. And if you like Fast Finance, I hope you enjoy three-hour podcast interviews because that's fast. Um my name's Zemet. You can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sells Magic. Um, I'm going to be working on a piece about Japan, but I don't know how much I want to write about it. But inevitably, that'll get published at cardconfidence.com, where you can find some other random stuff I've written. I've also written for MTG Prize, brainstormbrewery.com, and some other sites. Um, thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate that you're listening after a two-week hiatus. Uh, we were all a little busy living the high life across pretty much all of the world. Hopefully we'll get Jim on. You know, I don't know what's going on with his, with his internet. It seemed fine when that, when Ed and I were there. 
So you, know, you and I were actually probably almost closer last, like two weeks ago than we are normally. Cause yeah. Hawaii is like right, right down the street from Japan. Right. That made me real uncomfortable. I like it when you're as far away as possible. Travis. <laughs> Thanks for listening to cartel aristocrats cast number 48 and we'll see you guys next week.